You doing okay? You all right? All right. You ready to get into the Word of God? All right. Let's open our Bibles to Mark the 16th chapter. You know, Jesus had been dead for three days and three nights. And uh, in Mark 16, verse 1, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Now let's go to Matthew 28 and verse 2 and pick the story up there. Notice in Matthew 28 verse 2, the Bible says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. Now, a lot of times folks think that, think that this is talking about the angel, but I don't believe that it is. This description here pertains to the way the Lord Jesus appears. Now, you know, they carried him in there, his body in there dead, but he walked out of that tomb. And I don't think verse 3 is talking about the angel. The, there was an earthquake. The angel came down, rolled back the stone, took up the best seat in the house. And somebody came walking out of that tomb. His countenance was like lightning. His clothing as white as snow. Who came walking out of that tomb? <laughs> Jesus came out. Now, when he came out, the guards, what did the guards do? They shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That means they bit the dust. You know, religion paints a weak Jesus. But the Bible presents a resurrected, powerful Lord and Savior. And the guards, now these, are, these, these guys are tough guys. These, these are tough, tough, tough people. Hardened people. And, and uh, when, when Jesus came walking out of that tomb, they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And then the women show up in the process of time. Verse five, the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And I'm just so thankful that he's been risen from the dead. Our eternal destiny hung upon that. The most significant, of, uh, significant event in all of history. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He either walked out of that tomb or he's a liar. And he walked out of the tomb. Now ultimately you have to accept that by faith. But you know what? It would have been so easy for the religious leaders and Pilate and all of them. Back there then, it had been so easy to disprove the resurrection. All they would have had to do was wait for four days, because Jesus said he'd be raised in three days. All they'd have had to do was wait four days and then produce the body. Is that right? 
But you know they couldn't produce the body, could they? You know why they couldn't produce the body of Jesus? Because it wasn't there. Because he arose. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, just if you just think about it, it'd been so easy to disprove all of all of Christianity, all Pilate and and the religious people would have had to do was just wait four days and bring the body out, lay it lay it there in the streets of Jerusalem, and you could have disproved everything Jesus Jesus said. But they couldn't produce the body. Now they told all kinds of lies about it. You know, tell, tell everybody that the disciples came by night and, and, and uh, you know, stole the body and all of that. But they couldn't, you know, there was a guard on that tomb. You understand that. And the guard was there so the disciples couldn't come and steal the body. Is that right? But when Jesus walked out, then they had to concoct that very same story. They used that very same story to try to disprove the resurrection. Point is, all they had to do was take his body out of there, lay it in the streets. And that would have disproved everything. They couldn't produce the body. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, most significant events of all time... And on the day of Jesus' resurrection, and for the next 40 days, he made numerous numerous appearances to his disciples. After he was raised from the dead for the next 40 days, he made at different times various appearances to his disciples. And what I'd like to do today is look at four of these post-resurrection appearances as they're found in John's gospel account, because they address the four great enemies of the human heart. The four great enemies of the human heart. Sorrow, fear, worry, and doubt. Has anybody had to deal with sorrow, fear, worry, or doubt besides me? And and these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus deal with these four great enemies of the human heart. Let's start with the first one, sorrow. John the 20th chapter and the 11th verse. John the 20th chapter and the 11th verse. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. This was Mary Magdalene. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping or why are you so sorrowful? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned about and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping or why are you so sorrowful? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Teacher. You have to understand who this woman was, Mary Magdalene. She was once under the control of seven demon spirits. Jesus had set her free. From this demonic power. And as a result, she fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And she served him with all of her heart. But now he had been crucified. And to further add to her sorrow, his body 
was now missing. Her heart was broken and filled with sorrow. Sorrow gripped her and her grief was overbearing. You know, all of us have probably been in a time similar to this. In the midst of great sorrow, the worst, the worst of which is the death of a loved one. Has anybody ever experienced the death of a loved one? And I suppose that could be the greatest sorrow of all. And this was the case with Mary. And you know when you're in the midst of that sorrow and you've lost a loved one. You think of all the good times you shared with that person. And you think of how they helped you and how they blessed you. And this was the case no doubt with Mary. She was thinking about how much she loved the Lord Jesus. And how much he had helped her and how much he had done for her. And many in the world today are... In the same boat and they're sorrowful over the loss of a loved one or some other loss in their life or some other sorrowful event. And their hearts are troubled and filled and weighted down with sorrow. But you know in that moment of time when she turned around and she saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ, her sorrow was turned into great joy as the resurrected Christ stood before her. You know, in the midst of her sorrow, the Lord asked her a question, why do you weep? And that's a question that he asks all of us in times of sorrow. You know, the, the reason that he, that he asked her that question is because I think that he was trying to get her attention and get her to stop focusing on the sorrow and get her to focus on the victory that he's provided through the resurrection. You know, Jesus at another time said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ shows us that we need not be sorrowful, even in death, because he has provided hope of the resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I've sorrowed in my life. I particularly remember my grandmother. Um, she used to, we, when I was a kid, we'd lay in the Bible. I was five, six years old, and I'd lay in the bedside of her in the morning. She'd read the Bible to me. She saw to it that, that uh, I got into, into Sunday school when I was a kid. If she hadn't have done that, I probably would have turned out to be an alcoholic. Because most of my family, you trace it back, were alcoholics. And, uh, but she, uh, she got me in Sunday school and she got, she saw to it that the word of God got in me as, as a youngster. And when she, when she died, I remember I was 10 years old and I wept so, so, so much, but thank God because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, I'm going to get to see her again one of these days. Grandma's going to get me, though, because I used to cheat her at Old Maid. I'd mark the back of the Old Maid with a little mark, you know, and she'd get so mad because I never chose the Old Maid out of her hand. She wouldn't know how come I never chose the Old Maid. Well, I cheated her. I had it marked, you know. 
And she walked on a cane, and whenever she'd get mad, she'd take that cane and she'd hook you around the neck, you know. Now, she won't have her cane when I see her next time. But if she did, she'd hook me around the neck. Isn't it glad we can repent and be forgiven? Amen. So, so Grandma, I've, I've repented, I, and the Lord's forgiven me for that. Now, you have to forgive me, too. And as a result, as years went by, I was able to get my mother to the Lord and... And I'll get to see her again one of these days. Why is that? Because Jesus has risen from the dead. So the next time you're sorrowful, we all go through sorrow. But focus on the resurrected Jesus. And it'll help you greatly. What do you say? Now the next enemy of the heart is fear. Go to, you're in John 20. Go to verse 19. Uh, John 20:19. Then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear. Notice, for fear. For fear the, the fear of the Jews. See, because they had the Jewish, the, the leaders, you see, had um, gotten Pilate and whatnot to crucify Jesus. And now the disciples are in fear. Have anybody ever been in fear besides me? Fear. Fear of the Jews here, you see. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, notice the second time, Peace to you. You know, everything had been turned upside down for the disciples. And their confidence was shaken. They had shut themselves in. And you know, that's what fear will get you to do, to shut yourself in, to shut yourself off. And they'd shut themselves in, fearing they would be put to death just as Jesus had been. And the fear the disciples were dealing with was was a test of their faith. And did you know faith and fear cannot exist together? They knew the Lord had told them, He would die for man's sins and be resurrected, yet they were human. And they let the circumstances of the day rob them of their faith and joy. Has anybody ever been there besides them? I know I I have. But all of a sudden, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ appeared in their midst and said, Peace be unto you. And then he repeated this, as I said, he repeated this statement showing the great degree that the Lord did not want them to be fearful. This was telling them that everything was going to be all right. That he had conquered death, hell and the grave, and they didn't have to be afraid anymore. But they could be at rest and at peace in God. Again, anybody ever have to deal with fear besides me? I guess the worst that that I always have to deal with it is when we go uh, on vacation and my wife makes me fly in a jet. And somebody gave us a trip to Hawaii years ago. Pretty cool, huh? And we're sitting over there at Lambert Airport and I'm trying to talk her out of going to Hawaii. Hawaii. You know, somebody gave us the trip. It's really not going to cost us anything if we don't go. See, I don't care to fly. 
And I remember my wife looked at me. She said, I'm going whether you go or not. You can stay here, but I'm going to Hawaii. So I got on the jet. Did you know it's eight and a half hours going and eight hours coming back? Half hour less coming back. And coming back was quite something because we got up there at cruising altitude and the pilot comes on and he says, this is going to be a rough flight. Now, you know, when the pilot says that, he said, air traffic control has heavy turbulence at all altitudes. And so I shook from, I, on that, my, I was shook on that plane. That thing rattled and shook from Honolulu, Hawaii to the Rocky Mountains. Stopped for one minute of shaking. It smoothed out. And I said, thank God. And then it started shaking again. And we shook from Rocky Mountains into Lambert. And as the plane landed, I told my wife, I said, remember uh, when Elvis appeared the last time on stage? They said, this is the last appearance of Elvis live on stage. I said, look at me on this plane because this is the last time you're ever going to see me. <laughs> But, of course, my wife talked me into flying again some years later. And, and so we went to Cancun, and it was fine going down. And coming back, uh, I noticed on CNN there was a big storm out over the Gulf, you know. And so when we're sitting in there, the pilots, you know, because they let one group off, and then they refuel and load the other group up. I'm talking about fear. See, if you haven't guessed by now, I have a fear of flying. And so I, I sit there in the cafe and I, I notice the pilots get off the plane. And uh, so I went up to them. The pilots on the jet that are going to fly us back, you know. And I went up to them and I said, Sirs, I said, you all are the pilots flying back to St. Louis? Yeah. I said, well, I'm a pastor in St. Louis. Well, that didn't impress them at all. And I said, uh, I don't know if you guys... Can I mention something to you all? And... I said, did you know that, that I saw on CNN there's a big storm out there over the Gulf? And the guy looked at me and said, I'm aware of it. I said, well, I'm glad. And then he looked at me and he said, we're going to go around it. And we're going to come up through Texas back into St. Louis. It's going to add about 20 minutes to the trip. Will that be all right with you? I said, well, that'd be just fine with me. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, that'd be just fine. <laughs> you wouldn't believe I'd do something like that, but I, but I did. But, you know, when we get on the plane... now. I'll talk your ear off sitting there in the terminal, but once once we get on the plane, I go into prayer mode. I just, the whole time. Prayer mode. You know, I don't talk, don't say anything, prayer mode. And um, I focus on the resurrection. <laughs> I focus on the resurrected Lord and Savior the whole time. And I know when we were landing on that trip, the one guy came up to me. We had about, ten, oh, I don't know, ten minutes left. and And he said... He asked me if I wanted something, final drink or something, and I said, no, no. I said, I pray all the way in till we land, till we not land, but till we're seated at the, you know, stopped, you know, at the terminal. <laughs> and so I, I was sitting there talking to the one lady there as we're flying, not saying much. She was talking. Did you ever get sight of a talker, you know, and she's talking the whole time, and I'm resur- I've got my mind on a resurrected Christ the whole time, you know. And so finally, I 
said a few words to her about flying, much like what I've said to you right now, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, we obviously know that you're not related to the Wright brothers. That's hilarious if you think about it. And I'm not. But you know what? It's actually safer to fly than it is to drive, isn't it? But why did I share that with you? Because I have a fear of flying. When I get in the plane, I have to, I have to focus on the resurrected Savior. And you know, whether it's flying or whether it's... Sometimes people have a fear of people, being around people. Sometimes people have a fear of snakes. How many hate snakes besides me? So almost all the hands go up. And... Uh, uh, actually, those snakes are more afraid of you than you need to be of them. But some people have a fear of them. Now, I, I've told you this before. This is not a snake handling church. You bring a snake in here, I'm going to get a heart, garden hoe and have my wife kill it. You understand? <laughs> but some people are afraid of that. And uh, there's all kinds of things that people are afraid of. And uh, should I tell them my story about the junior high and the snakes? I was teaching junior high. Now, Now, I tell you what. If you ever teach junior high, uh, that'll take some of the fear out of you right there, dealing with some of those students, you know. I've seen every kind of thing you can imagine, some things you shouldn't imagine teaching junior high. Now, most of the kids are good, but some of them are a challenge. And so I remember we had an assembly one day, and uh, didn't know what it was. And when we walked into the, into the gym building, uh, there was all, because that's where the assembly was, there was all kinds of boxes up on the stage. I didn't know what they were, and so they got all these kids in there, these junior high kids, and there's boxes, and the boxes say St. Louis Zoo. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, anyway, so then the guys come in, the zoo keepers, they come in, they take a snake, and they pull these snakes up out of the box. Well, some of the little eighth grade girls start running out the door. And when they, they went out first, and I go out after them. <laughs> And so we got about, uh, I don't know, maybe 50, 100 yards. And they said, Mr. Shield, you can't make us go back in there. You can give us a detention. You can do whatever you want. You can't make us go back in there. I said, no, I'm not run. I said, I'm not trying to catch you. I'm trying to get out of there myself, you know. I mean. Does anybody have to deal with fear besides me? In different areas, you know. Some people have a fear of speaking publicly. Others... You know, some people afraid of their, their wives. <laughs> None of this is in my notes, by the way. I'm just, having a little, I'm just having a little fun with you here today. Is that all right? But fear, you know, we can laugh all we want, but fear will paralyze people. It can absolutely shut you down and paralyze you and keep you from being all that God wants you to be. And what's the answer for fear? The answer for fear is, you know, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. The worst fear of all, the Bible says, is the fear of death. The fear of death. And that can just bind you up. And, uh, but, you know, Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave. So whenever we're fearful, whatever we're fearful of, I just tell you what's helped me is to focus on the resurrected Lord and Savior. And that always helps. Can you say amen to that? All right, let's finish this up here. A couple more. Worry. Go to John 21. I won't tell too many stories here because I don't want to keep you too long. John 21, verse 1. 
After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the, to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee and two others uh, were, were there. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't didn't know it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any food? And they said to him, no. Notice they didn't have any provision, did they? And he said to them, and that's why probably they were fishing. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. He had told them that same thing some three and a half years earlier, remember? When they weren't catching any fish. They weren't catching any fish three and a half years earlier because it was time for them to go into the ministry and Jesus had an assignment for them. But now Jesus has, has died on the cross, you know, and uh, they, they've, they've gone fishing and they're not catching anything. And uh, he, he said in verse six, cast your net on the right side of the boat. and You'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Verse 9, as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish on it and bread. Verse 12, and Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast or come and dine. Now, you need to realize the fishing they were doing here was not for sport. They weren't out there just to have a good time. They went back to fishing because this was their means of making a living before they met Jesus some three and a half years earlier. And this is how they made a provision for their family. But now Jesus has died. They don't know how they're going to provide for their families. You need to realize they'd been working in Jesus' ministry, but now this is over. And in this difficult time, they returned to what they were doing when Jesus had first called them. Have you ever been... In a situation where you've been worried about provision, worried about finances, how you're going to make ends meet, you know. I know in my life there's been times over the last, you know, how long has this church been going? 21 years? I guess we're going to make it. What do you think? But uh, there's been times along the way, especially early on when, you know, I, I told my wife, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to go back and teach school. I'm just going to go back and be a math teacher. I'm just going to... Going to go back and do that. But we stick with it. We stick with it. Stick with, stick with what God's told you to do. Don't turn away from it. There's always going to be difficult times. And this was a difficult time for the disciples. You've got to put yourself in their shoes. They were fishermen. These were. Now there were others that did different things. But fishermen. And now that's over. They don't have anything to do. What are they going to do? How are they going to make a living? It was a difficult time and they returned to what they were doing when Jesus first called them. And as, I, as I've said, I've done this. Has anybody ever done this besides me? You, you know, you're going to go back to doing something that God directed you away from. You know, there's nothing wrong with teaching school. Now say amen to that. It's a good, noble, noble thing. But if God's called you to be in the ministry, then you need to follow Him. But there's been times where I, yeah, let's just go back and be a lot easier teaching, you know, but then I think about some of those junior high students, and I think, no, I'd just rather deal with the devil over here in the, in the ministry, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all, how many thinks I don't like junior high kids? No, no, I, I really do. They're really sweet. There's most of them, most of them. 
But has anybody ever worried about provision besides me? Yeah. Yeah. Now, in this ministry, we've had a real easy time of it financially. We really have. God's been faithful. But there's, there have been times in my life over the years where I, I've been concerned about provision, how we're going to make it. And what Jesus was doing with the disciples is was trying, he was trying to get them from focusing on their lack of provision and get their eyes off that and again get their eyes on the resurrected Jesus. And any time I've been concerned about provision... I think about the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I keep my eyes on Him. And you know, the Bible says He'll supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so if we'll just stay in what, what He's told us to do, just like these disciples, he, he got it through to them that they needed to stick with Him. He's risen from the dead. You know, He had another assignment for them, didn't He? And Peter, just not long after this appearance here, was going to stand up on what's known as the day of Pentecost and preach one of the greatest messages that's ever been preached. 3,000 people got saved, and it was a wonderful thing. So when you're in that time where you think God's through with you or you don't think there's another step or something else to do, just get your eyes off of that and get your eyes over on the resurrected Savior, over on Jesus. And I tell you what, he's always got something for you to do. He's always got somebody he needs you to help. Did you hear what I just said? And I could go on and on with that point. But did you, did you get what I'm trying to say here? Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and don't worry. Don't fret. Everything's going to be okay. If you'll stick with the Lord. Okay? And then let, let's, let's, let's close up here in John 20, verse 24. Doubt. Real loud, say doubt. Doubt. Is that all the louder you can say doubt? Say doubt. There you go. Doubt. Another enemy of the heart. We'll close with this one. Thomas called the twin. This is John 20, verse 24. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus appeared, you know, the first time to his disciples. Thomas wasn't there. So this is about, I think, seven, eight days later. The other disciples therefore said to him, now look at verse 25, we've seen the Lord. See, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to him the first time. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I wonder, have any of us ever been like that? Unless I see it, I won't believe it. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. Now, would that freak you out? <laughs> there he was. And he said, peace to you. Then, verse 27, he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but Believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. You know, we always think of him as doubting Thomas, and certainly he did doubt. But you know, he was the first one to call Jesus after he was raised from the dead, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him in verse 29, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Now, I've never seen the Lord, but I believe on Him. And I believe in Him. Because the Bible... Well, you say, why, Pastor Terry? Because the Bible tells me so. But on top of that, and that's all you need, by the way, is the Word of God. But I've experienced His presence. I've, I've been running with Jesus since I've been a little kid, since my grandma was reading the Bible to me as a, as a little five, six, seven-year-old kid. I've been running with Him, fellowshipping with Him all these years. I've never found anybody better than Him to fellowship with. And let me tell you something. You haven't lived until the presence of God, the presence of the resurrected Jesus has come upon you. Tell you what, when he turns up his presence, I start weeping. You haven't lived till you've wept under the power of God. Drugs won't match it. Alcohol won't match it. Sex won't match it. There's nothing like being in the presence of Almighty God. And having the presence of the resurrected Savior be on you. And you weep in front of him and weep before him and... There's nothing like it. I couldn't deny him. I wouldn't deny him. There's nobody like him. Don't ever forget this. Men and women will let you down. You'll always be able to find something in somebody's life that will disappoint you. Including mine. But there's one person when we see him. will say that the half hasn't been told how great he is. And his name is Jesus. There's no sin in him. There's no darkness in him. He's light. No darkness at all. Isn't that wonderful? That there is somebody that will never disappoint you or let you down and his name is Jesus. This post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ deals with perhaps the greatest enemy of all, doubt. And doubt, of course, is the absence of faith. It takes faith to please God and it takes faith to receive from God. It takes faith in Jesus to be saved. One must believe in their heart that God's raised Jesus from the dead... To be saved. Therefore, doubt is the greatest enemy we face. Perhaps the main reason for this post-resurrection appearance was for the benefit of Thomas. Jesus didn't write Thomas off, but out of great love appeared to him so that he would no longer be in doubt. And as Thomas beheld the risen Lord and touched his hands and side, believed and called him my Lord and my God. This appearance to Thomas took the one who is known, as we said, as Doubting Thomas, and made him one of the greatest voices for providing, for, I'm sorry, for proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This post-resurrection appearance of Christ dealt doubt a lethal blow. Can you say amen? amen? So we see through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has dealt with these four great enemies of the human heart. Sorrow, fear, worry, and doubt. And because Jesus lives, we can say to sorrow and to fear, worry and doubt be gone because Jesus is alive. Did did you get anything out of this today? Was it okay that I told you a few stories? Were they funny? Okay, okay. Hey, let's stand stand with me if you if you would. Now, very serious time here. I'm going to have them put Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. On the screen up there. And I want you to look at this. 
And, and then we'll, we'll... This is very important now. Listen. I, I spoke with a man yesterday, and I asked him, I said, as a religious man, and I said to him, I said, what, what, what do you have to do to be saved? I, just, I was at a wedding. One of my family members got married, and, and I asked this fellow, I said, what do you have to do to be saved? And, and he said, well, and when I say saved, what, what are we talking about? Miss hell and make heaven. How many want to miss hell and make heaven? And he, he gave me, you know, he said, well, if you give enough money to the charities or this or that or the other, you'll be saved. Friends, that won't save you. You can give all the money you have to the church. It won't save you. But, you know, a lot of people think that. A lot of people think they can be good enough. How many of you know we ought to live good lives? We should. But those good, li- that, those good deeds, the Bible's clear, won't save you. And you ask a hundred different people on the street, what do they have to do to be saved? You'll probably get about a hundred different things. Some think that you have to go to church every Sunday to be saved. Now, how many of you know saved people do come to church regular? Is that right? You come to church every Sunday. A lot of people do that in the land. And they don't, but they're not saved. There's only one thing that's going to save you. And we're going to tell you what that is right now. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your head. Did that say believe in your head? No, that said believe where? In your heart. See, there's a lot of people, if you you talk to them about Jesus, they'll give mental assent to it. They'll say, oh, yeah, 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 I, I believe in Jesus. But you see, they just got him in their head. That won't save you. That won't save you. Where do you have to believe? In your heart. That means you've got to sell out to him is what that means. So let's start over there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe where? In your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's pretty clear, isn't it? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now you say, Pastor, don't we have to do any good works? Well, if you're really saved, there'll be good works in your life. Would you agree with me on that? But those good works won't save you. You'll be rewarded for those good works one day, but those good works won't get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven? Confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believing in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now that's as plain and as simple as it can be made right there. So I want you to just, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer. Now, just saying these words in and of themselves won't save you. But if you say them to God with a believing heart, they will. Then after we say this prayer, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior before, you know, you've never done that before, when we dismiss, I'm going to ask you to come up here to the front. And, and there'll be people, they'll be leaving and going out, talking and whatnot, and that's fine. But you come up here and get with one of these nice people up here in the front. And just tell them, hey, I received Jesus today. 
It's important that you do that. The Lord said in the, in the Bible, he said, he said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. So it's important that you tell somebody that you've received Jesus. And then these people will give you further direction. They'll give you some materials that will help you in your Christian walk. Okay? So let me lead you in, in prayer here in line with this, this scripture. Okay, ready? Just repeat after me. Everybody pray this and just, just let your heart agree with it. And this will change your eternal destiny. Okay? So say, say, God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I realize I cannot save myself. I throw myself upon your mercy. I repent of my sins. I turn to Jesus. I believe in my heart. That God, the Father, has raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. My Lord. Now say this. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'll serve you from now on. And according to your word... I am now born again. I'm saved. I'll miss hell. I'll make heaven. And I'll never doubt it. And I'll always keep my eyes on the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the first time and Jesus has come into your life now, like I said, when we dismiss, you come on up here and tell one of these nice people. Well, hey, thanks for coming today. I love each and every one of you. Come up here, Diane, for just a second. Stand side of me. Isn't she pretty? Yeah. But let me tell you what. God's blood. I tell you, you serve God. Some of you young people in here, let me just tell you. Listen to me. If you want to find you a good mate, get hooked up in the house of God. I didn't find her in a bar I didn't find her in a bowling alley. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a bowling alley. I'm a pretty good bowler. You want to bowl me? I'll probably beat you. I don't know. But, but I went to the house of God. I just felt impressed. There's some young people. You need to hear this. Serve the Lord. Serve God. And let Him bring you that perfect mate like He did me. He's blessed me abundantly. You going to cook me a good lunch now? Are you <laughs> She's going to make me take her out, but but I'm, I'm serious. Serve the Lord. He'll bless you, okay? Thanks for coming. Happy Resurrection Day. Love on a couple of people, and then you're dismissed. God bless you.